flanked by the national flag, wearing a blue suit and reading from a prepared statement. President Mansour Hadi of Yemen addressed the nation on April 7th, 2022. He told the nation, I announce the creation of the Presidential Leadership Council to continue the execution of the duties of the transitional period and I irreversibly delegate to this Presidential Leadership Council my full powers. After years of grinding conflict, which has seen the Gulf nation of Yemen torn apart, recent events have revealed a glimmer of hope and a chance for peace. My name is Hugo Goodridge. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. Back in 2011, Yemen experienced its own version of the Arab Spring, which saw the removal of Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh, who had led the country for the previous 33 years. He was replaced by his vice president, Mansour Hadi. The end of Saleh's rule marked the end of a long chapter of Yemen's history, but not everyone in the country was satisfied with the outcome. This dissatisfaction boiled over in September 2014, when the Iran-backed Houthi movement in Yemen took control of the capital city of Sana'a, marking the start of the country's civil war. In January 2015, the Houthis forced Hadi to resign and placed the president under house arrest. Hadi, who was the Saudi-backed and also internationally recognised leader of the country, was later able to flee from the capital city to the port city of Aden. He rescinded his resignation and condemned the Houthis. The next day he travelled to Riyadh and by September of 2015 a coalition led by Saudi Arabia would enter the conflict and seek to push back and ultimately defeat the Houthi forces. In the following years the conflict between the Saudi-backed forces and the Houthi movement would kill, according to UN estimates, 377,000 people. Of these deaths, over 150,000 are as a result of direct military action, while the remaining have died as a result of the horrific humanitarian crisis that has gripped the nation. This month, a window of opportunity opened, which could help bring an end to this conflict. At the beginning of April, and coinciding with the start of Ramadan, the warring sides agreed to a two-month ceasefire. And on April 19th, the eight-member Presidential Leadership Council took the oath of office, bringing an end to the rule of Hadi. For seven years, the internationally recognised government lacked leadership. This is Abdul Ghani al-Iriani, a senior researcher at the Sana Center for Strategic Studies. Previously, he worked with the United Nations in the Office of the Special Envoy of the Secretary General for Yemen. He spoke to us from Sana. The former president, Hadi, never attended meetings, never answered his phone, never gave instructions to commanders. He was not involved in the public affairs in any significant way. There was no direction, there was no command, it was nothing. The government was like a headless chicken running around. The formation of the council is a huge improvement. For once, the Houthis will have 
to face a real uh, opponent on the other side, at least there will be some kind of coherence and coordination between the myriad of armed groups that fall under the cover of the government. In any conflict, you can only hold the ground you stand on. And while Saudi aerial support has proved devastatingly effective, a lack of coherence among the military parties supporting the government has inhibited success. The Houthis were fighting a very divided front. This is Bara Shaban, a MENA caseworker with the human rights group Reprieve, a Yemeni researcher and analyst, and former member of the Yemeni National Dialogue Conference. So while Saudi Arabia has a big budget, they have a big military, they have launched an air campaign, um, but they don't have presence on the ground. They're depending on what's so-called the legitimate government of Yemen or the internationally recognized government. But that's many groups, that's many parties. And with that, there were many divisions. So the Houthis' main ability, they have a very united structure. They have a very clear military hierarchy, while the other side is very divided and have many challenges. With the formation of the Presidential Leadership Council, the internationally recognized government can form a unified front, which could have the military capacity to put an end to Houthi advances in the field. But while military unity has the potential to make changes on the battlefield, Barat fears that a political settlement could be stymied by the same old differences. Uh, The disadvantage is basically what Yemenis have experienced in the past. With presidential councils, you usually have a problem with decision-making. Because you have many players, then it's easy to predict that different players will disagree. In, in Parliament, for example, you'd usually have an opposition, a ruling party and, a, and an opposition. Uh, in this case, you don't have an opposition. So basically, everyone is in, uh, is in power. And with that, it's easy to see that differences can erupt easily between members of the council. So if this is a council just to get through a transitional period until reaching elections, hopefully it could see a lasting peace in the country, then, yeah, it might work. But if it's a sustainable solution, I'm not sure it will be, you know, very effective in that means. Yemen's spotted history with presidential councils failing in both the 70s and 90s does give credence to doubt. But after years of conflict, any chance for peace must be seized. Yemen cannot wait anymore. I think what is important, what is significant about forming the Presidential Command Council is that they can now form a unified negotiation delegation. And that's what really matters. If a peace agreement between the internationally recognized government and the Houthi movement can be reached, it would clear a path for the Arab coalition to withdraw. This coalition has been led by Saudi Arabia and supported by the UAE. But why did they enter the conflict in the first place? The main aim of their intervention was to push back the Houthis, who have managed to conduct a coup against the transitional government in 2014. And the stated aim was to reinstate the Yemeni government back into power. Um, And there is no question that the Yemeni state was in in the process of collapse. 
Saudi Arabia has had a long history of intervention in Yemen, unwilling to be neighbours with either an unstable or too independent country. Riyadh has injected copious amounts of cash into Yemen in the past, and has also provided routes for Yemenis to work in Saudi Arabia. An unstable neighbour leaves Saudi with a bitter taste, but a neighbour that's controlled by a group with strong ties to their long-time rival Iran is unacceptable for them. Saudi Arabia, in general, I would say, wants to not see a militia running the country. Uh, nevertheless, a militia that has strong and high links with Iran, and it needs, in general. I would say stability, not necessarily democracy, but in general stability across its border. And Abdul Ghani goes further, believing that Saudi Arabia seeks a weaker Yemen as a whole. Uh, I think for many years Saudi Arabia thought that uh, a low-level conflict in Yemen was to their uh, to its advantage. They wanted to degrade the military capabilities of Yemen altogether, of all the Yemenis. They thought that that kind of attrition would be to their interest. They did not account for the possibility that uh, the Houthis are not playing by the rules, and they used this time to build up their military capabilities and became a serious threat to Saudi Arabia. And this is why we have Saudi Arabia now actively seeking peace. On the other side of the same coin is the UAE, who have their own agenda. As for the UAE... Their current objective is to reduce the great influence, political influence and military power of the Islah Party. The Islah Party are, in essence, the Yemeni branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, an Islamist organization. The Emiratis have always viewed Islah, not the Houthis, as their main enemy in Yemen. The Emiratis have arguably had greater success through their support of the Southern Transitional Council, who were recently granted a place on the Presidential Leadership Council, while the Isla Party were a notable absence. The chance for a united military front to face the Houthi movement is widely agreed to be the most tangible outcome from the newly formed council. But it may not be needed. At the start of April, a ceasefire was brokered by the UN. Since the truce uh, came into effect on the 2nd of April, uh, and despite reported violations that we are concerned about, uh, we have seen a significant overall reduction in hostilities and no confirmed reports of uh, airstrikes or cross-border attacks. This is the recently appointed UN envoy to Yemen, Hans Grunberg, speaking on April 13th at Sana Airport. We will continue to work around the clock to support the parties in keeping their commitments to adhere to, sustain and strengthen the truce, and to engage constructively in finding a comprehensive solution to the conflict. So, why the ceasefire? Barashiban. The main reason why there is a ceasefire, I think it's because both parties are, in a way, are quite exhausted um, after especially the last year and a half, although Yemen hasn't dominated the news for some time, it has been quite intense fighting on the ground with Houthis trying to take over the eastern uh, province of Marib uh, for the last two years. So far, the ceasefire has more or less been upheld. 
but could it be extended beyond the negotiated two-month period? Now, I don't think it will remain longer simply because the main brokers of the ceasefire, and that's the, the UN envoy, doesn't have means of leverage. He hasn't shown any ability to actually managing to reach sustainable uh, solutions or even being able to broker effective ceasefires uh, on the ground. It's basically this whole thing is standing on the will of both parties to hold it. But once that shifts, and I think with the current dynamics, the Houthis cannot stay in the territory they just have. They would like to go to Marib and they would like to extend their reach to the south if they want to control the oil and gas production. This ceasefire will collapse, I think, sooner the, uh, rather than later. And Abdul Ghani al-Iriani. It will hold, uh, and I'm sure there's a good chance of uh, it holding being extended beyond Ramadan. The reason we got to this ceasefire is because the Houthis, having been on the offensive for over a year and a half, more like two years, were in no mood to discuss peace as they were advancing in the ground. Uh, however, a few months ago, their offense, uh, offensive on Marib was broken. They reached the point, I think, of the limit of what they can achieve by military action. Will the ceasefire hold? Maybe. Maybe the newly formed military unity resulting from the Presidential Leadership Council will serve as a deterrent to the Houthis. Or maybe the Iran-backed group will use this time to prepare for a fresh offensive against the strategic city of Marib, 120 kilometres east of the capital Sana. At this point, it's worth noting why the Houthis have been fighting so relentlessly to secure Marib. Perhaps unsurprisingly, for a conflict in the Gulf, it's about oil. It's not as huge a quantity as the neighbouring Gulf countries, but it is an essential part of any movement that is trying to rule Yemen. So you almost cannot run the country if you don't control the oil and gas production because it amounts to at least 70% of Yemen's income. The other is you, you might be depending on taxation, you might be depending on other sources of revenue, but still oil and gas is very essential. Despite their numerous efforts, the Houthis have so far failed to capture Marib, which explains, at least in part, why they agreed to a ceasefire. For Saudi Arabia and the UAE, the ceasefire is equally welcome, with the two Gulf powers recently feeling the pointy end of the war in Yemen in their own backyards. During this announcement of this operation, the Yemeni military forces confirm we are ready to expand the operation during the next phase and confront escalation with escalation. A statement from a Houthi spokesman on January 24th of this year following a missile attack that hit three oil tanker trucks and an under-construction airport extension in Abu Dhabi, killing three civilians and injuring six others. The Arab coalition hit back with a flurry of airstrikes, targeting a number of sites in Houthi-controlled Sana'a. Pro-Houthi media reported that the strikes killed 14 and injured a further 11. A further airstrike on a prison in the northern city of Sada 
is believed to have killed 80. While the coalition has the means to hit back, the attack in Abu Dhabi and similar attacks that have targeted oil facilities in Saudi Arabia have, according to Abdul Ghani, served as a chilling reminder of the capabilities of their opponents. Uh, I think it, has, it had a huge impact. The Saudis did not change their approach of allowing uh, a war of attrition to, to go on in Yemen out of nothing. It was because they became vulnerable and the war began to hurt, to hurt them that they uh, chose to bring it to an end. As for the Emiratis, it was huge. Uh, the attack on the Emirates was very bad for their uh, economy, for the markets. For a long time now, the messaging coming out of Riyadh has indicated that they are looking for the door that will take them out of Yemen, a decision that was likely made more pressing by the Houthi attacks that hit their territory. But they cannot leave if the Houthis remain a threat. If a deal is to be reached, then it is becoming increasingly probable that both Saudi Arabia and the UAE will have to cut some sort of deal with their enemy. The Houthis have the upper hand militarily among the Yemeni parties. And if uh, we want to bring them to the negotiation table, we'll have to acknowledge their successes in the battlefield have to be translated into some kind of political gains. And uh, I think the, the Saudis and the Emiratis are both uh, willing to uh, allow that. So if Saudi Arabia and the UAE did agree to make a deal with the Houthis, would the Houthis agree to a deal with them? Bara Shaban again. Now, the question is, will they be able to reach a political solution with their Yemeni opponents? Or is it just a temporary phase before um, another round of conflict uh, will erupt again? And I think that's, that's the main question many Yemenis have. Now, the Yemeni people themselves, they are exhausted and tired from eight years of conflict. But that doesn't mean that, that the Houthis are tired. And I think that's the main risk to the current ceasefire or a, a sustainable political solution for the future. If a deal between the main parties can be reached, it will mark a significant step forward, but will also be just the first in an incredibly long journey. Years of fighting have created a host of problems in Yemen, the most pressing of which is a chronic humanitarian crisis, which of late has been beset by donor fatigue, resulting in a shortfall of donations. The World Food Programme's regional director for the Middle East and North Africa region, Karine Fleischer. We need much more money. We have a big funding crunch. Um, for example, in Yemen, we are 18% funded for the year now. We need $806 million more in the next six months to feed 13 million people. Um, so we protect the money for 5 million people that are on the brink of famine. And the eight other million people, we only give them half of what they would need now. So basically, we take the food from the hungry to feed those who are at risk of starvation. The main reason the humanitarian crisis in Yemen is the consequence of the main problem, which is the collapse of the state institutions. And with the collapse of the state institutions, you would have a government structure that is unable to basically provide to the Yemeni people 
in terms in all sectors, the health sector, the education sector, also the, uh, the salary. So, On top of the collapse of state functions, the supply of aid has been weaponized by both sides in the conflict. The Saudi land, sea and air blockade has been accused of preventing the delivery of aid, while the Houthis have been accused of blackmail. Weaponizing the economy, in addition to, to aggravating the humanitarian uh, crisis, it also empowered the Houthis, provided a captive population from which to recruit and fight. Until now, the moves towards lifting sanctions and the restrictions on the free flow of commerce to Yemen has been very slow. And uh, I think they need to, the Saudis need to lift all restrictions and provide uh, the basic support, humanitarian support, to counteract the healthy main instrument of recruitment that the coalition is starving the Yemeni people. Also, the Houthis have been one of the main reasons of the humanitarian suffering. The UN has spoke repeatedly about embezzlement of humanitarian aid, um, sealing of aid, diversion of aid to benefit their followers. Also, there is mass child recruitment happening by the Houthis. I have met families that were forced to send their children to the battlefield because the Houthis have blackmailed them with the humanitarian aid. There is little to no chance that the Yemen government nor their rivals will have the capacity to meet even a small part of the needs of the Yemeni population that are stricken by extreme poverty. And unfortunately, options are running out. As for the international community, it's been eight years and charity fatigue uh, usually sits in much faster. So we're very thankful for the international community for sticking along for so long with us. Uh, I don't think they will come back. I think that the regional powers that have caused the crisis will bear the bulk of the responsibility in the coming years. The need for aid is beyond desperate. But a population is unable to live on aid alone. Sooner rather than later, a functioning state will be needed, which the recent ceasefire and the formation of the Presidential Leadership Council could help usher in. What is needed urgently, I would say, is to reinstate the, the institutions, reinstating the institutions that can enable the Yemeni people to start working, creating jobs, and reviving slowly uh, the economy. The sooner the better. Um, the main reason why we do need a political solution, because once we have that, that's when you will start to see people being paid and you see the services being delivered to the people. It's still challenging, but it um, we, we, we have to remain, ho- um, remain hopeful. Beyond the issue of the economy and state stability, Yemen will have a multitude of other urgent issues to navigate. Accountability is likely to be a priority for many victims of Yemen's war. The Saudi air campaign has resulted in an unacceptably high number of civilian deaths, with markets, weddings and medical facilities all hit from the skies while those living in Houthi-controlled areas are enduring conditions equivalent to a brutal police state, with anyone who dares to speak out against the group arbitrarily detained, tortured and forcibly disappeared. For the moment, issues like these will, in all likelihood, be tomorrow's problems. But today, faced with the recent developments, Yemen, for the first time in a while, 
has a chance. There is a hope that you can reach a political solution where the council can politically pressure the Houthis into they need to be part of the solution they're being rather than being out of it. Again, it would also need the support of the international community. The main problem is also the international community are very distracted. There isn't ongoing momentum. It comes at certain times, but then quickly goes when other incidents happen around the globe. But this could be the moment that we can see the tide turning and uh, hopefully seeing peace come back to Yemen. The New Arab Voice is written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region. (laughs) 